missional identity, which for me is a really interesting one because I really like mission, I like talking about mission and thinking about mission. And as a concept, I genuinely believe in the church we should be uh, a completely missional community. But identity for me is something actually much, much harder to think about. I don't know if you've ever thought much about identity. If someone says to you, what is your identity? I mean, does anyone have a, a good answer for that? What's your identity? No, hands up straight away. It's quite a difficult thing to think about, isn't it? Um, I grew up around, uh, well, I became a Christian at age 11, so I've been in church long enough to know a lot of you guys that have been in church will have heard probably the phrase like, your identity is in Christ. Hands up for anyone that's heard that. Because I've heard that a lot, and I know that's the good church answer that you give when someone talks about your identity. But I still didn't really, I don't know what that means, your identity is in Christ. And I, for a long time I was thinking, well, does that mean, like, am I not John the, the youth worker anymore? Am I just John the Christian? What does it mean if yeah. my identity is in Christ? It's quite a difficult, complicated, confusing topic, I thought. Because um, when we think about identity in terms of, like, world stuff, if you think of identity in, you know, in government forms, your identity is proven by maybe, like, showing a passport. You might have to prove your identity when you get a new job. But your passport is a particularly weird way, I think, of doing it, because there's very little information in your passport about you, is there? There's, like, your name, your date of birth, and then a tiny, the worst photo of you that's ever been taken in your life. Um, and when I see mine, I think, well, I hope that that's not my identity, because it looks like there's a very heavy weekend, maybe with some drug misuse or something. That's not what I think of as my identity. But when we think about identity, when you meet someone new, for instance, and you want to learn to get to know somebody, you want to find out more about them, what's one of the first things you might say when you meet somebody new? What do you do? What do you do? That was that exactly the one that I think about all the time. This morning I asked Gary, what do you do, didn't I? And Gary told me he was a web developer. Um, was it web developer? It was a web developer. Um, it's one of the but actually, it's not a great way of getting to know someone, is it? It's just saying, what's your job? What is the thing that you do? But really what we kind of mean by that question is like, who are you? Yeah. And as I've been thinking about this preach this week, I've been thinking, well, maybe I should try and stop using that what do you do thing, because it's not a great way of getting to know someone. So I've started twice this week, I've met new people, and I've gone straight in with, who are you? And it does not get a very warm response. <laughs> it is not a good question. I'm going to go back to what you do, which is what I did this morning. Because it's a bit personal, isn't it? And you don't know, how do you answer, who are you? It's a very, like, it's an interesting concept that often we don't even know who we are, right? And often we can link who we are with the things that we do. So maybe with job stuff. Because if someone asks me, who are you, probably one of the first things I'm going to say is I'm a youth worker. If someone asks you, who are you, Mike might say, oh, I do media stuff. Uh, you might say, I'm a, I'm a, um, a psychotherapist. I shouldn't choose my mother-in-law, I shouldn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you might say, web developer, or teacher, or risk something, Matthew? Engineer. Risk mitigation? Engineer. Engineer. He tells me off about risk a lot of the time. I just kind of issue it. <laughs> but, <laughs> But we think, about, we, we think about what we do often a lot as, as kind of as, as who we are, right? But actually it's probably not the best way to think about who we are because what if that is taken away from us? What if suddenly you're not a teacher anymore? What if suddenly you're not um, an engineer anymore? What if suddenly you're not a mother anymore? Or a father or a son? 
what if you're not the things that you think you are? What if that is taken away suddenly? Do you lose your identity? Because identity isn't really something that can change a lot. When you, even with a, with a passport, when you're proving your identity, you can change your name, but you can't really change your identity. The government's still going to know you are who you were. Ten years ago, I was a drama student. I can now thankfully say I'm not a drama student anymore. Um, I'm not the kind of person that was... Uh, has anyone done drama? No, cool. <laughs> Probably the preconceptions you have of drama students are all absolutely correct. It's a lot of kind of flouncing around and pretending to be a tree, and I remember having to like pretend to be the wind and that sort of thing and feel the energy of the room. In fact, I wanted to share a quick story from that. Um, I uh, remember one particular session where we had done all of our usual drama rubbish, all of the kind of imagine you were in a field. We were, I think we were in this particular session, we were lying in a black room on the floor as our drama teacher was like, imagine you're in a happy place, you're in a uh, meadow or beach or whatever it was. And she went round and put a little pebble on the floor down next to each one of us. She said, right, I want you to pick up your pebble and feel it. So about half the room, turned around, including myself, picked up the pebble that was round, down next to us. The other half of the room still thought this was like an imagination exercise and picked up like an imaginary pebble and were kind of feeling it. She was like, no, no, there's a real pebble on the floor next to you. Pick up your pebble. And I was kind of watching around. Most people have picked up their pebble. I do remember one guy being like, oh, yeah, I can really, I can feel the pebble. He was holding this imaginary, like, nothing, but convinced that that was what we did. But anyway, that got straightened out. What the teacher said was, right, you've got a pebble now. Now I want you to take your pebble away. Get to know your pebble. Understand your pebble's character. Get to know who your pebble is. And then on Friday, you're going to come back and you're going to use your pebble as a script for a performance <laughs> that you're going to do for the whole class. And as much sense as that's made to you guys was about as much sense as that made to me. I didn't know what we were supposed to do. I thought the teacher had lost her mind. Obviously, I just, I just put my pebble in my bag and didn't really think about it again for the rest of the week. But then when we got back on the Friday, the teacher was like, right, pebbles out, guys. We're going to do your pebble performances. I had nothing. I had not thought about it for a week. I was struggling. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I went and got my pebble out of my bag, because luckily that was still there. And I was watching as she started calling out names, and people were going up onto the stage and doing their pebble performances. And some people were rolling around on the floor, and some people are very active pebbles, apparently, that kind of dancing and, and doing kind of drama dances and things. And the whole time, I wasn't watching any of it, and I was thinking, what the heck am I supposed to do? She's going to call out my name in a couple of minutes, and I'm going to have to get up there in front of 20 people and perform a pebble performance. And she did call my name, and on the way up to the stage, I was just holding my pebbles, thinking, what, what do I do? Come on, pebble, give me, give me something, give me something. And it didn't, because it was a pebble. And I got onto the stage, and I was staring at it, and I, I just put it down on the floor, terrified, still nothing in my head. And I just stared at the pebble, hoping that something would come to me. And I kept staring, and I kept staring, and minutes went by. And after four or five minutes, people just started applauding. And they thought that that was the performance. And I remember my teacher saying, that was fantastic, and I got a real sense of isolation from your pebble. You really got to know your pebble. You really understood the assignment there. I love the little movements. I have done nothing. I, <laughs> drama's the kind of thing you can just turn up and eat a yogurt on stage and you get the you get the match well. So I'm not a drama student anymore, was the kind of that's a very long-winded version of saying that. But I've been asked to get to know a pebble and the character of my pebble. I don't even know how to explain when someone asks who I am, but I had to do that with a pebble.
I think what I was trying to get out there was a very long-winded way of saying our identity is not in the things that we do. Yeah. It is not in the things that we do for us, and it was not in the things that Jesus did either. Yeah. Jesus did incredible things on earth. There's a part in the Bible, uh, in Luke 4, 38 onwards, Jesus had been out of town, he'd been healing the sick, he'd been casting out demons, he'd been performing miracles, and the townspeople were asking, they were begging him to stay. They wanted him to stay more days, they wanted to see more of this stuff. And, his, and he decided to leave, and his response to them was this, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. He laid down his identity as someone who does things, even incredible, amazing things, because he had an identity that was much more important. He had a calling over his life that was to go and tell the gospel to the other towns also, because he knew that is why I was sent. He also laid down his identity even as a son and as a brother. There was a time that Jesus was talking, he was preaching, and uh, some of his disciples came to him. This is in Luke 12 verse 46 onwards. Obviously, normally there'd be slides, but there's not. Um, some of his disciples came to him and said, your mother and your brother are here to see you. They want to speak to you. But Jesus didn't let himself be interrupted from his teaching. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He laid down his identity, even as a family member, as a brother, as a son, because he knew that his real identity was as a son of God. His identity was rooted in doing what he was sent here for. It was rooted in being uh, in doing the will of his father in heaven, uh, of his father in heaven, and the same is true for us. And I think often as Christians. So we, it's really easy to confuse our identity with the things that we do. It's also easy in a different way, I think, to confuse our identity with what is ahead of us, with our inheritance that is promised to us. So one of my favourite bits of the Bible is uh, Revelation 21. I'm going to read from the start and we're going to see how far we get. I absolutely love this because it's an amazing description of what is coming to us in the future. It starts at verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was on the th seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. And I love that because it is assured to us, if, we're, if you're a Christian here today, this inheritance is promised to you. It is assured to you that, that this is coming for us. 
Um, and there will come a time that there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or death. And that God himself, what I love about that is God himself wipes away the tears from our eyes. He takes personal responsibility for everything that has ever hurt us. And he himself will say, it is okay. But it's really easy, I think, to trick ourselves into thinking that that inheritance that we will get is what we should get now. And we can, we, we can kind of have an identity of we're, we're, designed, we're here on earth to be blessed and to be happy and to not cry and to not be in pain and to not mourn and to not suffer. And actually, that isn't true at all. It can lead to people... It, when our identity is linked up with our inheritance, it can, it can shake our faith when the reality of our circumstances doesn't match up to that. And we can say, why am I, why am I suffering? Why am I sick and I'm praying and praying and I'm not being healed? Why, why do things hurt? Why did my mum die young in such a cruel way? And, and people, people leave their faith over that stuff. Because... We mix up having our identity in Christ, which is good and right and true, and we can kind of get our identity and our inheritance. And we can, we can be devastated by this question of why are things this way. But the truth, the reality is actually, we were always promised that things would be this way. And the Bible is full of promises that things are going to be hard. We are promised suffering. We are promised uh, wars and famine and persecution and death and an increase in evil. Um, there's, I mean, there's too many places in the Bible for me to really to list them. Matthew 24 talks a lot about it. So does Jesus um, in, in Luke 13. But those things are promised. And we are told that these things will happen. So when we're looking for our identity as Christians and what it means for our identity to be in Christ, it's really important that we don't confuse that with our identity from our inheritance, which will come, but has not yet come. Because of course Jesus suffered, not just on the cross, but also in his life. And I went through and I found three places in the Bible where Jesus wept, and I think they're really powerful places. One of those, the first one of those is in... Um, John 11, Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and the friends of Lazarus because Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, he passed away. And Jesus wept, not just for, him, not for himself, but he wept with his friends. He wept in solidarity with people who were going through maybe some of the worst pain that they've ever been through. If you've lost a loved one, you know it's, it is some of the worst pain you can get. And Jesus was right there with them. And he was weeping and he was suffering with them. And then in, in Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the entire city of Jerusalem, over the state that he sees it in and the destruction that he knows is coming for it. And finally, in Hebrews 5, it says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal life for all those who obey him. So Jesus was familiar with his inheritance. Jesus knew better than any of us what was awaiting him. The glory that was awaiting him. But during his time on earth, he suffered. And he learned obedience from that suffering, it says in, in Hebrews. 
He cried in solidarity with his friends, but not only that, after he cried in solidarity with his friends, what did he do next? He went and raised the dead. And after he cried over the, the state of Jerusalem that he saw and the injustice and the destruction that was coming, he went into that city and he went into the temple and he flipped over the tables. That was the next thing he did after that. He flipped over the tables and he called out the injustice and he said, get out of my house to all of the people that were making a mockery of it. And do we want to be people that, that flip over tables when we see injustice? As a church, is that the kind of people we want to be? Do we want to be the kind of church that stands up and says, no, this is wrong? Do we want to be the kind of people that see the dead raised spiritually, physically, nothing's off limits with God? Because I think if we do, we need to accept that we are here in, in the same way Jesus knew his identity as a son here on earth, was to, to, to share the gospel and to not shy away from suffering, but actually to embrace it to embrace the pain of the people in the world around, if we embrace that with us, within ourselves, then we will have authority to go and change it and to do something about it. I think when we, when we think of the inheritance uh, that we get, we, we, can be re we can rest assured knowing that Rescue is coming, but our identity now is not to be people that are rescued from the world. It's to be people who are sent by God to the world with a message of hope stronger than anything this world has ever seen. We share that with the world. The rescue is coming, but it is not here yet. We are on a mission. And, if, you know, the word mission outside of the church is probably used most in military circles, right? Like the army will go on a mission. James Bond will go on a mission. And you might know that at the end of the day, you, you win the war. We know that we win the war. But the mission we're on now is hard. We're in the trenches right now. And we've got to act like it. We can't pretend that we've already won. Because even though kind of we have, that victory is coming. But at the moment, we're really in the trenches. I think we must lay down our desire for comfort if we want to see God move. I think it's not a popular thing to say, I don't think, but I think we need to lay down our desire for wealth and, and dignity and, and a, a peaceful life and take up what we're actually called to do. Because I've heard Christians say a lot of the time, well, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to be rich. I, I don't want loads and loads of money, but I, kinda, I just want to be comfortable. I just would like a comfortable life. Or, um, I, you know, I want to go and tell that person about Jesus, uh, or I want to go and share the gospel, but actually it's really out of my comfort zone. It's really, uh, we focus a lot on comfort, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think... God cares that much about our comfort. And I know there's probably different theologies about that. And I think there's, there's ways you can look at that and say, well, God wants to bless us. And I believe that that's completely true. But when it comes to comfort, when we look at the life of Jesus and the identity that he lived in, for me, I don't see a man who lived a life that was marked by comfort and peace and wealth. I see someone who suffered. And so someone whose life was marked with, with, with pain and with love and with humility. And he used those things, knowing this is my identity, this is why I'm here on earth, to change things, to bring the, the, the most incredible message, and to see lives massively changed. And in the same way that Jesus knew his identity as a son of God and did that, it is on each one of us to know our identities as sons and daughters of God. 
in the same way. If you've ever been promised that Christianity will make your life more comfortable, I'm really sorry, I think you've been lied to, because it won't. Um, in fact, I think Christianity will probably make your life a lot more uncomfortable if you really get the identity of what it's really calling you to do. But, but isn't that kind of okay? Haven't we found something better than comfort, right? Something better than wealth and dignity. I was, I was prepared to lose all of my dignity over a pebble as a drama student, right? <laughs> if I could do that, shouldn't it be okay for us to say, actually, I'm not going to worry what people think about me when I go and share the gospel, or when I go and offer to pray for somebody, or when I show love, right? Because we've found something so much better. We've got that inheritance that is coming. But if we want to, to, to really get the, the fullness of it, if we want to live our lives now truly in the, in the identity that God has given to us, I think actually it takes action. So it's easy to kind of get distracted by the things that we do, um, by the job stuff that I mentioned about before. Often that's, that's one of the main things in life, right? But also the, the other stuff, the kind of the setting up the chairs at church and the, the worship band stuff and the making the teas and coffees and the kids work and the, you know, I'm a youth worker. It can be really easy for me to get distracted by the youth work and I can, again, I can identify myself as, oh, I'm a youth worker. But actually, even that stuff, it's things and it's not our identity. Your identity isn't as someone that sets up the chairs at church or, or sings in the worship band. And my identity is not as a youth worker. My identity is as a son of God who is, who is on a mission to change the world through the, the, the gospel message that is given to me. Now maybe some of that can be done through the worship and the chairs and the teas and coffees and the youth work and the kids work and everything else good that we do, but that is not the only thing. Because again, if that was taken away from you, then what? What is left? If I couldn't be a youth worker anymore, does that mean my life is over? No, absolutely not, because I'm still a son of God, no matter what happens to me. No matter the circumstances, I'm still a son of God, but I'm still on the same mission. And the same is completely true for every one of you. I started off by saying that our identity isn't in what we do, and I completely mean that, and I'm going to stick with that, but I'm going to add to it that although our identity isn't in what we do, I think what we do can define how obedient we are in our identity. Because we can be disobedient in our identity, we can walk away from the identity that God has, or we cannot live in the fullness of this identity that God has given to us. But as Jesus stuck to his identity, he didn't get distracted by the things that he did, but he lived in obedience. There is a calling on every single one of our lives to live in obedience to God. To not get caught up in the things, to not get caught up in the idea that life should be perfect now, because we know that one day it will be. To not find our identity from the stuff that we do, and let that be so consuming to us, our family life, our work life, our hobbies, our friends, the things that other people have said about us, good or bad, to not get so caught up in that that we miss the actual mission that God has sent us here to be, our actual real identities. And it's not comfortable, and it's not easy, but I promise you God uses it. On Thursday nights, Jess and I uh, lead a, a group of young people um, that we, we started back in January, 
we had about five young people, teenagers that we work with, wanted to meet together to read the Bible. And I don't know why, but that group kept growing and growing and growing. And now we get about 30 to 40 people uh, meeting. And it's become a lot more than a Bible study. It's become like a church thing where we pray and we, you know, we'll study the Bible together and we'll worship God. And it's amazing. And what I find going into that, we, we meet at Tony's Cafe on Button Lane. That I remember the last time I went to it, I got there uh, just as it was coming to start. And there was a load of teenagers outside of it that were there waiting for church, waiting to meet, um, to pray and, and read the Bible. And I was really flipping anxious. I, did, I was not comfortable at all. Um, and that kind of happens week on week. And it would, I remember actually the last time sitting in the car, looking at the group thinking, oh, I really don't want to do it. I don't want to go in. Um, and thankfully, so far, every single time, I've managed to just be able to just kind of get it together and do it. And you know what? The stuff that we've seen happen in that cafe as a result of kind of fighting against the discomfort and the stuff we don't want to do has been genuinely incredible. Young people giving their lives to Jesus. I, 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 might, I don't know if I'm exaggerating this, but if I am, it's not by a lot. But I think I've genuinely seen more physical healings happen in there, in that group of people, than in the whole rest of my Christian life combined. Because, and it's just young people praying for each other. And it's really uncomfortable and it's really difficult. Um, and for me, that's such a big challenge for me to go and do that. And, and, and that's where God is challenging me into my life. And I just want to encourage every person in this room, the thing that is uncomfortable, the thing that you don't want to do, but that you know God is telling you that you should do, go and do that thing, because it's so worth it. And it is so much more important than you go and live in obedience to God, because I don't think any single one of us is going to look back on our lives when we're face to face with God on that final day. I don't think we're going to say to God, oh, I wish I'd been more comfortable. I wish things had just been a little bit easier for me. I don't think we're going to say that. What I'm worried about for me is that I'm going to look at look Jesus in the eye and say, I wish I'd been more obedient. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be that person saying, I wish I could go back and be more obedient because it won't be possible then. It will be too late. Think about the things that God is calling you to do and go and do them.